active transportation network. And, you know, Peter, what I'm thinking is depending on the listener's age, uh, maybe some folks don't even realize that we haven't always had all these bike trails and <laughs> trails everywhere across the country. It, it's been it's been a work in progress, hasn't it? Definitely. Definitely. Young people just assume this is how it's always been. And they also they also don't know much about the old railroad system. And 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 the, the main feedback I've gotten on the book so far from people is like, wow, I never knew that my trail was a railroad. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, the point I think that, that I thought you made very well in the book is sometimes and, and this is my uh, own bias here or, or view but when we talk about railroads, again, depending on one's age, if you remember riding regularly or when it was when it was more common in the East, I think you still have a, a fair amount of um, transportation by train. But places like Peoria, where I'm speaking from, used to be a hub, and now passenger rail is gone. You know, it's around us, but not in Peoria, and yeah. uh, that yeah. that's a change. But I think the point that sometimes is made by the rail and I'll use the word buffs, is they can quote you, cite you, you know, all these different uh, facts about the track and what used to run. And I think people's eyes kind of glaze over um, with all that information. What your book brings is, hey, we had a system here where everybody went out and built their own track. And if they could make a buck and they'd work with towns and communities and all of a sudden, we had all these tracks running, sometimes, you know, co co copying each other or whatever. Yeah, duplicative. Dupli duplicating the service. And there, then, there of course, was, there was seven, what happened. Yeah. There were seven different ways you could get from New York to Chicago. Yeah, exactly. And no master plan by the federal government. Uh, that's a point in your book. Uh, so as a result, when and, and we... I guess we can get into the fact that the the, the rail system uh, came off the rails uh, quite a bit, um, but then we have these these corridors that that were have now been thanks to people like yourself <clears throat> have been re kind of mastered, and now for bicycles and people walking and and anything else. Uh, th this is now how, how much lies ahead, Peter, because uh, you make the point that there's still a lot out there. Well, that, that's kind of the $64,000 question, how much lies ahead. So so the railroad system contracted. There's still a, there's still a very robust railroad system in this country. It's mostly freight railroads. Um, but but of course, there's passenger trains, too. And it's still pretty robust, but over 100,000 miles, which is twice the size of the interstate highway system, by the way, wow. uh, it, you know, have been abandoned. And uh, some of them are trails now. Some of them have been lost forever. And then there's this kind of gray area where we're still trying to figure out, could they be resurrected as trails? And and looking way into the future, could they be resurrected as as railroad tracks? And, and that's part of what we're doing, saving these corridors uh for for when our transportation system might change again and and we still have the corridors because they're they're the most valuable part of a, of a railroad system those corridors i i love in your book we're talking with peter harnick the author of from rails to trails you grew up in new york um and i love your description of central park when it became uh bike and pedestrian friendly 
that's something that you experienced firsthand, correct? Exactly. That was that was a paradigm shift. That was life changing. <laughs> uh, when people realized that that a park could be more than just a thoroughfare for cars going zooming through it. And and you know that's that's really the point I think. And again, um, maybe some folks haven't ever experienced that change. You know, where it used to be car centric, and then all of a sudden. Wow, you mean I can have a place to go with my bicycle or with, to to run or walk? Um, but that's that's sort of I think I think we're getting somewhere. I think again, thanks to the movement you've been a part of. Um, now I think it's accepted now. It's much more accepted, and ironically, COVID actually gave it additional momentum. The, the COVID, you know, happened after I wrote after I wrote the book, or I was writing the book during COVID, but. But so many people uh, fled their apartments or their cramped up houses or they're they're being stuck with their family during COVID and wanting wanting outdoor recreation, but but uh, not not uh, you know playing football or something to, together, and uh, that that gave tremendous impetus to trails and um, car free areas in parks and things like that. One of the things in your book is. Um kind of chronically and it's a lot of history there but the bicycle history uh which, which had had various booms and declines over the years and i guess if we're rolling through that uh sort of history the covid uh spiked the bike industry again because you couldn't find a bicycle in That's 2020 true. uh if, if you were lucky you could but otherwise you couldn't well the thing that well first of all I'm one of the relatively rare people that loves trains and loves bikes, you know, and, and you were talking about these train buffs and, and some of the train buffs feel a little bit uh, besieged by these trails. They're, they're scared that they're going to drive the trains under and things like that, which, of course, is not the message at all. Uh, we want to save the trains and save the corridors. But I also love bicycling. And um, that's what made me sort of dig in more deeply as to like how the rails to trails movement really got uh, its momentum. And I think I, I think what happened was that the, the people that uh, bicycled felt so besieged by being forced off the road that, um, you know, the bicycle movement actually created the road system in this country at the beginning, and then then all the bicycles were forced off by the cars and and motorcycles and cars, and um, they they kind of felt like if we don't save these quarters, then we have absolutely nothing left. So, the bicycle movement, the the, the bicycle activists were sort of the backbone of the rails to trails movement, even though millions of people walk on them, you know, uh, skate on them, ski on them in the winter, all kinds of things. But the bicyclists uh, were the ones that felt like if we don't save this, we're really doomed. And when you talk about bicycle use, we have to look around the, the world and say that, you know, the United States has always been a little uh, slow, I guess you could say, if that's the right word, when it comes to adults riding bicycles, which is not the case in, well, you, you probably can cite it better than I, Europe, Asia, other places where you hop on a bike and go somewhere, it's not uncommon. Exactly. Well, that's a very complicated uh, situation that's probably too long for this show. But in a nutshell, you know, the, some, some of the European countries that are now very strong on bicycling were actually heading in the same direction as the U.S. in terms of being dominated by cars. 
but they they changed their policies. They made it more. They they raised the taxes on cars. Of course, the price of uh, gasoline in Europe is much higher than in the U.S. There's all kinds of disincentives for people to own a car or certainly to own two cars or or anything like that. Right. And um, people realize, okay, you need a car for long longer trips, but but riding a bike for two, three, four, five mile trips is uh, is perfectly feasible. It's good for your health and it's good for the community. So so their 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 cities aren't as overrun by parking lots and expressways and things like that. And that's. That's, of course, uh, you know, something that I think we're also seeing uh, sort of a turnaround as people look at their uh, inner cities and urban areas and think, you know, boy, we got all these parking decks. And I guess COVID, again, brought that to mind when all of a sudden these places went empty for a while. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, There was... An, another interesting part of your book, Peter, that I, I, I found, and, and I guess I've explored it a little bit out here in Illinois, and that's the business of the interurban, which I, I think is sometimes lost on people, the distinction between railroad and interurban, or, or maybe it doesn't even need to be made because it's still rail transportation. But the interurban system here was very strong in, in very downstate strong. Illinois. All um, through the Midwest and yeah. and parts of the northeast yeah very strong and and i think the 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 lifespan though was was very short i mean because it, it, it seemed like it boomed and then boy the cars took over again and it was never the same it, it lingered on into the i think the 50s around here yeah. uh yeah, that was about it yeah exactly there's there's a one or two left there's a there's a famous line coming out of chicago heading towards uh michigan toward you know across the top of of indiana that's still running um but uh yeah most of them got lost and sadly a lot of those interurbans which in a nutshell are basically trolleys uh trolley systems that would start uh on the streets uh in the city and then when they hit the countryside they would they would move to the to the side of the road so they could go much faster and they weren't tied up in traffic. The, and, and those, you know, the ones that have been converted to trails are, are really nice trails, but sadly, many of those inner urban tracks were just paved over. They just, so you had a, you had a two lane country road with a, a railroad track right next to it. And um, they just widened that road into a four lane or a six lane or something like that. And uh, you know, 90% of them, you can't even, find them now you have to go back to old maps and figure out okay one of the lanes of this highway used to be a uh an inner urban it's it's so interesting i use some old old the funny thing about doing this research is that the older the maps you use the better unlike now you'd want the most modern right. map but, right. but for railroads you want the old maps because they all had more tra- <laughs> more tracks on them yeah. And so when you go back to those old ones, you say, oh, I never realized that this road that I'm driving on used to be a railroad. Well, I, I worked on the newspaper here for a number of years in Peoria. And I, I, let me get a plug in for George Burrier, who... Oh, great. You, you know that name? Because, I know him, yeah. Oh, you know him? Well, I, I'm not surprised because George was a, an attorney that, that loved trails loved and, and fought that fought as you have for many, many years. And he walked, I walked with him while walking, uh, working on a story for the paper. And we walked the trail. It's now a trail, but it was a perspective trail then. 
And he was telling me as we walked towards Peoria, we we're in East Peoria. He said, this, yeah, this was the interurban line coming into Peoria. And it was a beautiful view. And, you know, it was level as you make the point, you know, everything was was straightened out. And I thought, wow, I would never have known this. Exactly. Um, but for him and and but for the people working on the trail. Exactly. And that's the kind of thing you've seen probably all over the country. All over the country. Well, I mean, the great thing about George, George Burrier is a wonderful guy. And, and there were quite a few other George Burriers around the country. And, and the great thing about this movement was some of we were sitting in Washington, a very small group of us in Washington, D.C. We had the, the benefit of um, some of the maps and the, you know, uh, legislative filings and things like that from the what used to be called the Interstate Commerce Commission. And and the local people would call us and say, you know, we have this track here and nobody's doing anything with it and we have an idea. And we say, okay, you've got a great idea. Other people have that same idea in other places around the country. We want to help you. And they would tell us things about the local track, like you were just saying uh, with Walking with George. And we would tell them things about, you know, when the Interstate Commerce Commission allowed the railroad to abandon or or who, a lot of times they didn't even know who owned the, uh, the track. You know, we would tell them the name of the railroad. And it was two hands clasped. Some of the Fred, well, when, have you been on the Rock Island Trail? Because I know you probably can't get to all these places because uh, there's only so much I've time been, in the day. I've been on 207 rail trails around wow. the country. <laughs> and I've been on the Rock Island before it was fully open. George took right. me on, just like you. He showed me the tracks. And this oh, is the great. <laughs> but That's I haven't great. been since it's been open. You know, and you, and you allude to this in the book. And, and I think everyone who's sort of been involved with a trail development over the years, especially when it's taken a while, and, and often these do, they go 30, 40 years before it's all secured, and then, and then it may not be complete. But I know we hear it a lot on the Rock Island Trail, and I'm sure this is a, a broken record around the country, where property owners, farmers, whatever would say, hey, you, you're going to get the Hell's Angels out here. You know, you're going to get the wrong type of people on this trail that are going to leave trash around or going to going to do property damage. You know, and and it, I guess you could always say that that's a possibility. But, you know, that was always kind of a, uh, you know, and finally that eased. You know, we didn't we did that resistance, if that was what it was, um, exactly. was was overcome. And I guess you have to keep overcoming that each and every place because people are going to say, and maybe with justification, if they want to just quiet and keep it the way it is, uh, yeah. I can understand that side of it, but yeah. you know, the, the trail has proved to be a very good neighbor. Oh yeah. It's proved to be wonderful neighbors. And then the more trails, the more trails are created, the more people have been on the you gen generally the story we get, people call us and say, I was, you know, like, like you were saying before the show started Cape Cod rail trail, you know, people go to Cape Cod and, oh, wow, they discovered this bike trail. And this used to be an old railroad and they rent a bike and they had a lot of fun on it. It was the best part of their vacation. They come back home and they say, you know, actually, I've got an abandoned railroad in my town that nobody's doing anything with. Maybe we could do the same thing here. So it's just it spreads word of mouth that we had a wonderful experience on this trail. My kids were out on it. You know, they can barely ride in a straight line, but but it was safe for them to be on the trail. And um, let's do that here. And so, and so of course, you're going to have uh, opposition. You know, anything you propose, people are going to say, well, that's not the way it used to be done. And, and we don't want to change the way things have been. 
But if you have enough people saying, wait, this, this could be a real benefit, a real addition, let's do it. That, that's how you overcome the, the opposition. And, and one of the things you, you, one, one of the many things your, your book points out, and we're talking uh, with Peter Harnick, author of the uh, rails to trail from rails to trails is I don't know that you need them, but you have them champions, folks that, are willing to fight that fight, like George Burrier, and, and you know probably so many, and, and others are cited in your book uh, all across the country. Uh, just folks that, re- you know, maybe were new to the, you know, the the fight, and but kept at it, and, yeah. and, and just really understood, as you did, as you do, hey, of course there's going to be resistance. You know, the, the, I think you make a good point, and you, you just said that you're also a, a rail fan, as well, along with being a trail fan, well, the railroads don't want uh, people getting hurt, you know, exactly. and that was that's a point that you made uh, in the book, you know, uh, litigation consciousness and all this stuff. Uh, you know, people have always been told to stay away from railroad tracks exactly. um, because of their own safety. So all of a sudden, here's a thing going, hey, we're going to use this for put people on it. And of course, the trains aren't running, but that, there, there's there's issues there. Yeah, exactly. And the latest thing now is rails with trails, which is kind of a win-win situation where you're keeping your railroad network and you're you're putting a trail alongside it with a fence. Uh, in most cases, sometimes they don't even have fences, depending on the sort of the topography. Sometimes the uh, the track is is higher or lower, but but uh, generally with a fence. Right. And if you think about it, you know it's so we're we're so. <laughs> we're so stuck in our ways if you think about it people are bicycling walking and and running alongside roads all the time and you've got you know hundreds and hundreds of totally unpredictable drivers that right. could be distracted or drunk or or a lot of other things and 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 here you're 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 riding alongside a railroad track where the train is stuck exactly where it's going to be going and it's being driven by professionals and it, it, it's a much safer uh, situation than along the road, but you know people don't think about it that way. Right? No, they. they you're right. We are stuck in our ways, but it's it's comforting to know that uh, you know you've seen such great success with converting so many corridors, and I think it, it takes the recognition of someone like yourself that hey, let's let's give kudos to the rail people. For their uh, efforts in in laying this corridor out here, which is so level, which is so, uh, you know, maybe oh, it's very yeah. scenic, you know. I mean, in in my mind, they're the best trails ever created because because actually the railroad in in terms of you know pre inflation dollars, the railroad spent more money uh, evening out their corridors, including things like digging tunnels and and building huge trestles, beautiful trestles way above valleys and things like that, than uh, than certainly any other trail construction uh, outfit, and and even many road building outfits. There, there's right. many rail trails that are that are actually better engineered than than even interstate highways with with more even grades and things like that. Peter, uh, as you look about the country, as you look about the country uh, with with these the, the trail movement, um, I'm, I'm not asking you to spotlight, you know, every every uh, win there. But is there a particular example that you could cite uh, where you know really accomplishment has been made or, or overcome 
true resistance or uh, what what is your thought on that as far as giving somebody an example of uh how, how you can persevere and, and get a trail that maybe you never would have thought you'd have gotten well there's there's too many to even uh make a list but uh, you know, there's examples of people saving bridges. Br bridges very often are the flashpoint because, you know, once you take out a, a, a bridge, a major bridge or even a, a minor bridge, uh, you break up the continuity and, and the whole thing starts coming unraveled. And there, there's some fabulous, I put in the, in the book, some fabulous bridge stories in, in Minneapolis and uh, outside of New York City and uh, in Boone's, Boonesville, uh, uh, Missouri, and there's a brand new uh, victory up on the Columbia River in uh, Washington State of a, of a bridge that had just been lying vacant and was, you know, supposed to be torn down and they saved it. So the bridges are, are great examples. Um, and like you said, uh, you know, having a visionary local leader uh, trying to overcome some of the objections of uh, neighbors who either want the land for themselves or they want to straighten out their farm fields and, and get rid of the corridor or, or even just in suburban areas, you know, somebody that wants to turn it into a parking lot or something like that. Um, there's just story after story of, uh, of, of fabulous victories. We highlight the, uh, the Elroy Sparta Trail up in Wisconsin as, as, as one of the very first successes that, that stimulated the imagination of a lot of people. And right not far from you, the uh, Illinois Prairie Path, uh, just outside of Chicago, on the west side of Chicago, uh, is another wonderful example of a, uh, of a uh, intrepid citizen organization spending you know, years and years and years saving the corridor and, and making it into a great space. And that, that one, I love the way you, in your book you mentioned, that started with a letter to the editor yeah, uh, in 1963. Uh, by yeah, an, an intrepid... like that. That's a, another reason we can't lose newspapers. Yeah, <laughs> it's all <laughs> ties together, folks. Go on. Yeah, May Watts, May Watts, a naturalist at the Morton Arboretum. That's uh, right. Wrote that letter, and and of course, as you say, the thing, good things happen after that. Well, Peter, um, one last thing, and and this is, um, you know, you you obviously are very busy with with all that's. Uh, going on across the country. Uh, another book, another project, what's on your to-do list here? Well, I'm toying with the idea of another book. I'm trying to see if I have enough energy to, to dive into this, but I'm, I'm very interested in the in urban parks ah. uh, and, and how the urban park system, the sort of the history of the urban park system. Everybody knows about the national parks. Uh, there's all these books about national parks and, and uh, PBS shows about them and everything like that. But very few people and, and, you know, a few parks like Central Park uh, and, and Golden Gate Park and a few others are, are famous and have been written up. But, you know, we've got about 20 or 25,000 uh, city parks around the country. And I'm trying to uh, uh, investigate how those parks really came into existence. Oh, that sounds great. Well, we'll uh, stand by on that one, Peter. And we thank you so much. Uh, well, again, the you, book Steve. is... From Rails to Trails and Making of America's Active Transportation Network. Thank you, Peter. We'll stay in no, touch on this and uh, keep keep uh, keep on tracking out there. <laughs> I'll do that. And I'll come by Peoria, too. Very good, Peter. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.